Set a spark to your integrated business and marketing strategies with America's top entrepreneurs and business leaders here at Integrate and Ignite with your host, Lori Jones. Welcome to the Integrate and Ignite podcast. Jenny Casson has been an attorney for social enterprises for 22 years and is a certified transformational coach, social entrepreneur, investor, and finance innovator. Her formula for mission-aligned capital raising helps diverse entrepreneurs raise millions of dollars on their own terms. She runs her own firm and is president of Community Ventures, a nonprofit dedicated to community economic and social development. Her new book, which we're going to dive into today, is... Raise Capital on Your Own Terms, How to Fund Your Business Without Selling Your Soul. Welcome to Integrate and Ignite, Jenny. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I tell you, I am thrilled. Our audience is comprised of so many different leaders out there, from CEOs running big businesses to entrepreneurs in startup mode, or maybe entrepreneurs that are getting ready to raise additional capital. So today, we're going to talk about all things capital. You've got a book out there called Raise Capital on Your Own Terms, How to Fund Your Business Without Selling Your Soul. I love that concept. Tell us more about what brought you to wanting to write this book? Yeah, so about 11 years ago, I started working in a small law firm that specialized in helping entrepreneurs raise money. And we were working with entrepreneurs that were very diverse, Um, you know, not your typical tech startup. They were mostly very mission-driven businesses that wanted to make the world a better place with their business. And they had all kinds of different businesses, restaurants, grocery stores, service businesses, and um, and I was very new to the field of fundraising for for-profit businesses. I had actually spent the first half of my career um, after law school at a nonprofit, so I really looked at the the challenge of raising money for a business from investors with a very kind of clean slate, open mind, because I didn't know that there was any one right way. Mm -hmm. And so I just studied the law and what was possible under the law. And then we just started to design strategies that really fit the goals of our clients. And so a lot of times, what we realized was that if our clients could reach out to a much broader uh, pool of potential investors beyond professional investors, it would be so much easier for them to raise money. Because professional investors are a tiny, tiny, tiny pool of all the investors in the country. And they tend to have a very specific model that they use and very specific types of businesses that they're looking for. Whereas when you reach out to people that just love what you're doing, are huge fans, maybe they're your customers, maybe they're really passionate about the thing that you're doing with your business, they're really likely to want to invest and they won't have any preconceived ideas about, you know, what it needs to look like for them to be interested. Now, so, are, are yeah, there two big prongs of investment, you know, capital, uh, venture capital rather, and then private? Or how would you, you know, categorize the different types of investments that someone should look at? Mm-hmm, yeah. I mean, there's lots and lots of different kinds, but the big distinction that I look at a lot is what I call professional investors versus non-professional investors. And in the world of, of small business fundraising, and I'm putting, I'm not including banks at the moment right. because bank, banks are a whole other category. But when we're talking about investors, um, professional investors are venture capitalists 
active angels. So those are people who have their own money to invest and are actively investing, impact investing funds, things like that. And most of those investors have have a model that they use, which I call the venture capital model. And it requires the business that they invest in to have a a goal to grow very, very fast and then have a big exit event, which is usually the sale of the company. And um, that model just doesn't fit for most businesses, really 99.9% of businesses, it's just not a good fit for them. And yet, so many entrepreneurs look in that pool of professional investors when looking for money, when they don't realize that there are all these other investors out there that I call non-professional investors, people who are just regular folks, they have some day job that doesn't have to do with investing, but they have money to invest and they're very interested in knowing about options of, of places they can put their money outside of the typical, you know, Wall Street mutual fund. Right now, I believe that there, there's a number out there. Uh, I believe it's 82% of businesses fail, ultimately start up because they don't have the cash that they need. Uh, and it is hard for a lot of people to realize that they do need some sort of capital. Can you talk to us about what some of those first steps are when you realize to get to the next echelon of business growth, you have got to ask for help you need some investment, and it's an okay thing to do it. Yes, I think that can be one of the biggest challenges sometimes for for entrepreneurs. A lot of entrepreneurs are told and believe that it's best to bootstrap your business, which means, you know, trying to do it on your own, off of your credit cards, off of maybe a day job. But really, that is a huge reason for business failure. It's just way too hard to grow most businesses that way. And it puts tremendous pressure on the entrepreneur and their family and their resources. And it often can lead to business failure. And so even just getting to that point of realizing, yes, I do need to raise money is a really good first step. And then knowing all your options. So often what entrepreneurs will do when they first finally realize that they need to raise money is they will, they'll start researching, you know, what does it look like for a small business to raise money? And then because that whole venture capital model is so kind of, it's very, um, it's kind of mythologized and it gets a lot of coverage and, you know, in Fast Company magazine and Inc. magazine and Forbes and places like that. A lot of people think that's the only way to raise money. So they kind of get stuck because they realize maybe that's not a good fit for them. They hear horror stories of what it's like to raise money that way, which basically almost always means giving up control. <laughs> right. And, um, and and so they they feel stuck because they don't know what to do because they re- they may not want that money or worry they can't get it, um, but they know they need money. So just taking that time to really know what all the options are is is a really important next step. And and the op- the the main thing that I encourage people to do is just think much more broadly about who your potential investors might be. It may be your customers, your suppliers people that think you're awesome, people who are passionate about what it is you're doing. And it doesn't have to be people that you know. It can be people that you meet as you start to get the word out about what you're doing. Now, you mentioned uh, so many entrepreneurs out there really have this incredible mission. It's it's one of the reasons why they started the business, so that they could give and build in, in different ways. How do they go about finding, you know, this these mission-driven in, investors that could be very meaningful to, you know, the vision, the soul of their own company? Yeah, well, what I really recommend is going through an, a whole planning process. There's so many different pieces to the puzzle when you're thinking about raising money 
And you want to take the time, you know, take those few weeks to really think through what is the best strategy because there are so many entrepreneurs that raise money. You know, they'll walk into their lawyer's office, their lawyer will hand them a standard document, usually a convertible note, and then they'll just go out and start raising money. And it's often just not the right strategy for them, but they haven't taken the time to really think through, you know, how should I be raising money? Who should I be talking to? And, you know, it is a highly regulated activity. You know, that's how I first got into it is from the legal side. There's, you know, you you do have to make sure that the way you're raising money is legally compliant. So you want to understand what all your options are. So I, in the book, and when I teach my clients, I take them through a six-step process to create a strategy, and then it becomes much easier to go out and implement it instead of just kind of jumping in without really thinking through what is the best way for me to do this. Because when you raise money, you have people, you know, that are going to, you're going to have a relationship with for a long time and you want to make sure it's a it's a relationship that really works well for for your goals for your business for everyone right now can you just tell us you know top level what that six step process is i want to lead people to buy your book so can you tease us with those absolutely so step 1 is getting really clear on your goals and values and that has several sub steps to it so one is figuring out how much you need to raise because you definitely want to make sure you raise enough to get you to kind of the next milestone, but not so much that it kind of creates too big an obligation for you to be able to fulfill. Also, what are your plans for the future of your business? So some people do want to grow their business really fast and then sell it, but other people don't want to do that. So really getting clear on, you know, what do you see as an ideal future for your business? Because that's going to have a huge effect on how you bring in investors. Also, will you need to raise money multiple times or could you just raise money once and then break even and never have to raise money again? And then of course, your values. So, you know, what are your non-negotiables? What are the things that you care so much about in your business that you really don't want to compromise on? Right. So that's step one. Step two is figuring out who your ideal investors are. And that's a process where you really um, think about who they might be, you know, and get really creative. And again, they may be people you don't know yet, but you can come up with kind of a persona the same way that you would when you're thinking about your ideal customers. Who is your ideal investor? You know, I want to stay there for a second because I (laughs) love, I love, love, love what you've just said. I mean, all too often, you know, we're in the marketing world. We develop integrated marketing communications programs and they're all based on, you know, the, the end client or the end customer, that persona, that client avatar. And I love what you've just said about developing personas for that potential investor, which you can take, you know, down the line of, you know, even developing a persona for that next employee. I love Mm -hmm. the idea of thinking out of the box when it comes to persona development. So thank you very much for that. Okay, step three. Okay, so step three is what do you offer to your investors? There are so many kinds of investment instruments you can offer. You know, the idea of an investment is simply what it's, it's where someone gives you money and they get some financial return. Often they get other kinds of return as well, like the enjoyment of being part of your world, feeling good about supporting a business they love, etc. But there is some financial return. That's what makes it an investment. But how people get that financial return, you can get so creative with, you know, it doesn't have to be through the sale of your company. So we take people through a process to help them really design the ideal structure of what to offer to investors so that investors are being compensated fairly, but the business is also able to, you know, survive and thrive as time goes on and not 
be pushed to do things that that don't feel right to you. Which is a horrible feeling. Yeah. And it happens all the time. I mean, when you raise money from the venture capitalists, usually they're going to really push you to grow as fast as possible and often cut a lot of corners just to show the right number so that you can become an attractive acquisition target as quickly as possible. (laughs) Now, before we get to step four, how do you know if an investor is a good fit? Well, I mean, often by going through this whole planning process, you will often be in a great position because you will have designed your strategy and the right investors are naturally going to be attracted to you and the wrong ones will be turned off. (laughs) So, um, So you may have some conversations with investors that are not a good fit, but that's okay because, you know, just like in marketing, as we all know, you know, you're not marketing to everybody. You're marketing to those people who just think you're amazing, love what you're doing, and that's not going to be everybody. So you'll feel it if it's, you know, you'll, they'll kind of look confused, they won't get your vision, and then you'll have a conversation with someone where they'll immediately get it. You know, I, I talk to people who, when they go and talk to an investor, they'll be like, yeah, I spent the first hour explaining why we were even doing our business, like what problem we were solving. And I was like, you should never do that. Because if it takes an hour to explain that, it's obviously not a good fit. You want to talk to people who immediately get why what you're doing is important. Yeah, And there are people out there like that. Well, there are. And that's just human nature too, right? You're going to lose them after 10 minutes if you can't explain, you know, answer why very, very quickly, you know, the market needs the product and why you're doing what you're doing. I am always so interested in the dog and pony shows that we've been involved in with our clients uh, in, in pitching investors, the non-verbals and the, those non-verbal cues that you see from people and you know immediately that you've lost them. So mm-hmm. how, what advice can you provide uh, our listeners today on understanding whether or not you are losing someone in a pitch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, you know, again, if you really work through this process of designing your strategy, you'll be a lot more confident in your pitch because you'll know, okay, I've really thought this through. I've created something that makes sense. I know, you know, what I'm offering is a great fit for the right investor. And so, and of course, I have a lot of tools and strategies to help you get more confident with your conversations with investors and what to say to them and how to have the conversations. And so, if you go through all of that and then you're in the meeting and you just aren't feeling like there's a click there, like they're just kind of zoning out and they're not getting it, then it's just information that you're probably not talking to the right people. And you you shouldn't feel bad that, oh, I'm doing something wrong. Usually it's more that it's just not the right fit and you thank them and you move on to the next person and you get really good eventually at honing in on the right people. You know, once you start finding some of the right people, they'll refer you to other people And before you know it, you'll be having a lot of conversations that go really, really well. Yeah, that referral piece of this, I think, is huge. Absolutely. Yeah, it's really helpful because when you find someone who loves what you're doing, they immediately want to help you in every way. They don't want to just invest. They want to tell all their friends. And I always like to say it's not I should you know, I said, oh, they'll want to help you, which is true. But also they'll see it as a great opportunity. And so they'll feel like it's a disservice to their friends if they don't tell their friends about it because they see it as a really great opportunity that they don't want to (laughs) hide. Yeah, that's so true. Okay, step four. 
Okay, so step four is where the legal compliance strategy comes in, and that's where um, we can get really creative about how you can reach out to your ideal investors. So many attorneys will tell you you can only reach out to accredited investors, which is a category of investor that meets certain wealth and or income requirement defined under the federal securities law. But there are actually lots and lots of ways to reach more people than just accredited investors. And there are even ways to raise money where you can publicly advertise the fact that you're raising money. So um, I so what I do is I help my clients make some decisions about, you know, given who they want to reach and what their what type of offering they're doing, how, what's the best legal compliance strategy that allows them to reach the right people. Oh, that's great. Okay, step five. Step five is the enrollment process. That's where, you know, whether you're advertising the offering or not, in other words, whether you're doing what we call investment crowdfunding or not, you still have to have a lot of one-on-one conversations. You can't, you know, a lot of people think, oh, if I do a public offering using investment crowdfunding, I just put it up online and then I sit back and the money comes rolling in. But no, you know, you do have to have a lot of one-on-one conversations with people to just talk to them about the opportunity and and see, you know, kind of what their concerns are and help them make the decision whether or not to invest. So we have a, you know, step five is kind of planning that process. How will you invite them to meet? How What will you say once you meet them? What will you show them? You know, do you have to prepare, you know, a 30-page business plan or perspective? No. Right. <laughs> but, you know, do you, maybe you show them like a 10-slide presentation or maybe you send out um, an executive summary and what does that look like? So that's the, the next step is kind of designing your communication strategy. You know, uh, I have, um, I could count on every single live limb I have, you know, the fingers, the toes, times 1,000, the number of times that we've been approached by companies to market their product and they start the conversation out by, I have no money. I always think it's absolutely amazing um, and, and they've been some good products as well that they don't consider marketing and, and in most situations, they believe the product should sell itself because it is so good. But it takes marketing to uh, differentiate, to you know, establish a need, and ultimately to pull in, in customers. What do you say to, to those individuals, um, and how do you communicate in a pitch the need for marketing? I mean, that's a big problem, I think, with any profession, you know, whether you're a lawyer or a marketing consultant, we often have clients that are very, um, they don't understand the need to spend money to make money. Right. (laughs) But one thing I do tell them is that the way you communicate your offering can have such a big impact, not just on your ability to raise money, but also on your overall marketing for your company. You can have an impact beyond just raising money because when you share, if especially if you're doing a public offering and you're sharing with the world that you're raising money using a creative strategy, allowing your customers and your community to invest, it can really create a great image for your brand. The idea that you're raising money in a different way from the way most people do, you know, you can, that you care so much about your customers and your community that you're going to be having them invest. Yeah, so I love that. It, yes, they are going to need to spend some money on getting the word out, um, but, you know, it can really have a huge impact on communicating about the brand. And also, you know, when when I hear people saying, oh, I don't have money for marketing, you know, I say, well, that's exactly why you need to be raising money from investors. Right. <laughs> because that's such an important part of your budget. If you really want to have a successful business, you need to pay for really high quality marketing. Yeah, that's so true. I would totally agree with you on that one. <laughs> okay, <laughs> the final and sixth 
step? So the sixth step has to do, and not everyone needs this, but I find a lot of people do. I call it overcoming obstacles. And it's basically dealing with what will inevitably happen for a lot of people, which is that they'll get a lot of thoughts that will come up and and stop them and get in their way. So, you know, maybe they'll get five no's in a row and they'll feel like giving up. They'll feel like it's hopeless. Or they'll go to start asking people for an investment and a voice will say, who are you to do this? You know, there's just so many things that I call it the mindset issue. You know, it's just so many little voices that get in our way when we're trying to grow and be and take things to the next level. And I've experienced it myself. I've had tons of coaching to help me address it. So I know that it's something that I want to include in every plan is like, okay, what are you going to do? If you get discouraged, because it it can take time. My clients take anywhere from probably two months to a year or even a little more than a year to reach their capital raising goals. Yeah. So it's something that, you you know, it's almost inevitable that you'll have your moments where you feel like giving up. So what are you going to do? Plan in advance of what you're going to do when that happens. And one really important thing to do to, you know, prevent that or, or make sure you kind of can get through that is to be part of a community of support, not try to do it totally on your own, be with other entrepreneurs that are going through a similar process. I think that's great. And actually, I think that sixth step is almost essential Mm -hmm. um, just because, you know, we've got a couple startups right now that we're working with and uh, it it, it does. It takes so, everyone listening today can relate to it. It takes so much longer to ultimately land the level of investment that you need in, in order to move to the next stage. And emotionally, it can be so tough getting there. Now, I've got a a kind of a categorical question uh, for you surrounding women-owned businesses and male-owned businesses and the amount of investment. I I believe the number is 97% of investment goes to capital. uh, I'm sorry, investment capital goes to male-owned businesses versus female-owned businesses. Are females just not asking for the money? Or, you know, what's the issue here? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so... In the world of venture capital, I hear different numbers, but from what I see, it's about 97% that goes to male-owned businesses or male, you know, businesses with male CEOs, which is pretty shocking. But I have to admit sometimes, and this is a little controversial, but sometimes I think maybe that's not 100% a bad thing because for a lot of women, taking on a VC might really not be the best thing for them. And so what I'd rather see them do instead of chasing after that money, which can be, you know, it can actually hurt your business because first of all it is such a sexist uh, culture unfortunately but it is so exposing yourself to that culture can be very demoralizing it can really hurt your you know your confidence unless you're an incredibly you know tough person who can take a lot of you know crap right <laughs> and you know you are bringing on a boss that's part of raising venture capital money so you know maybe the I have you know though venture capital capitalists do have a reputation of kind of, you know, they are called the smart money because they bring experience and knowledge and contacts. There are a lot of stories of venture capitalists who bring in the wrong advice and actually really hurt the business. And if your business happens to be one that maybe is more focused on a female market, which I'm not saying all women entrepreneurs do, but a lot of 
women entrepreneurs are focusing on female markets, um, the guys may not know exactly the best thing to do, whereas you do. So um, anyway, for many, many reasons, it may not be a good fit. And if you know what the alternatives are, you may choose to go a different route. And interestingly, I have some colleagues that are collecting data on investment crowdfunding, and they're finding that in that realm, when women are raising money in using investment crowdfunding, they're actually raising just as much and having just as much success as men. Same thing with people of color. So I think, yes. Um, it goes back to knowing the audience and knowing the best platform yeah. to reach mm-hmm. someone who would have an affinity to the product or service that you're selling. Exactly. Yes. And, you know, it is true that a lot of women don't even go to ask for venture capital because they know that it's not a good fit for them, but they just don't know what the alternatives are. Yeah, I, I think that's incredible. Um, just understanding and insight right there. Now, you also hear these stories about investors actually, they're willing to take a lower return. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, so the question of return is a fascinating one. I think there is sort of a, a, a belief or a, you know, a, a reputation that if you're a mission-driven business and a slower growth business that is not looking for the fast exit, like use it, you know, under the venture capital model, that you have to ask your investors to get to accept a lower return. But I really question that, you know, interestingly enough, there was a Kauffman Foundation study that showed that the average return on a venture capital fund is zero to negative. Really? So, yeah. So even though they have, you know, they're they're known for these big home runs where people make, you know, huge multiples on their original investment, those are quite rare. The average is actually zero to negative. <laughs> so, wow. so I would rather invest, instead of investing in something that's almost like a lottery ticket, you know, okay, if you happen to be the next, I don't even know what's the next, you know, what are some of the big ones, Snap or whatever, I don't know. Right. Yeah, if you happen to be the next big home run that just makes huge amounts of money for the VCs, awesome. But that is so rare that it's almost, to me, it's almost like buying a lottery ticket. So I would rather invest in a business that has slow and steady, sustainable growth that's paying a profit share every year, like a dividend or interest payment, because I think in the long run, the returns might end up actually being much better. It's not something that's going to make headline news, but little by little, it's kind of like the slow and steady wins the race. (laughs) Right. Um, So that's when I have extra money to invest. That's what I invest in. You know, I'm not interested in the lottery ticket investments. Well, I tell you, Jenny Casson, I've so enjoyed our conversation today. And I know that our listeners will as well. Remember the book, Raise Capital on Your Own Terms, How to Fund Your Business Without Selling Your Soul. Thank you so much for appearing on the Integrate and Ignite podcast. Thank you. I loved it. This episode is complete, but the inspiration has just begun. Head over to avocetcommunications.com for show notes and more aha moments. Tune in regularly to ignite your integrated business and marketing strategies with Lori Jones and the Integrate and Ignite podcast.